The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to The Shalene Show. Shalene is a New York Times bestselling author, celebrity fitness trainer, and obsessed with helping you live your dream life. Hey there. Welcome to this edition of The Shalene Show. I am so excited for you. I'm always excited for you to be here. But today I'm really excited for you to hear from my guest, Dr. Michael Bruce, known as The Sleep Doctor. He's a clinical psychologist, the author of Sleep Doctor's Diet Plan, and one of my recent favorites, The Power of When. You've seen him on CNN, Oprah, The View, Anderson Cooper, Rachel Ray, Fox and Friends, nearly 30 times on The Doctors, The CBS Early Show, The Today Show, Kelly Michael, just to name a few. What I love about Dr. Bruce, aside from the fact that he says, dude, which dude I think is so cool, is his approach to weight loss and understanding how our sleep affects our hormones. This is a two-part episode. The first part will blow your mind and have you craving part two. Off to the show. Dr. Bruce, it's an honor and a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. This has been a hot topic for some time with my audience. Well, and actually, of course, for me too. Understanding like how sleep correlates to weight is, I think, a new piece for so many people. Like, I assume that from the time we were pretty young, our parents are telling us you need to get adequate sleep. And that's just a message we tend to believe because you can feel it. But I think the correlation between weight and sleep is something that's relatively new. So I want to come right out of the gates and have yep. you explain to us why and how in the world does sleep affect our weight? So it's fairly interesting. The data has really started to come into its own within the last 10 or so years. But uh, there's four ways that we know that sleep deprivation affects our ability to lose weight or to maintain a healthy weight. And just to give everybody an idea of what I mean by sleep deprivation, mm -hmm. it, it, while it does partially mean the number of minutes or hours of sleep that you get, it also has to do with the quality of the sleep that you get. So it's not just a quantity issue, but it's a quality issue as well. And there's lots of reasons why you might have poor quality sleep. I can't count the number of patients who've shown up in my office and said, Dr. Bruce, I'm sleeping seven, seven and a half, eight, you know, eight and a half hours, and I can't lose weight and I feel terrible. You know, what the heck is going on? And it turns out that they have an underlying sleep disorder like sleep apnea, or they have a thyroid issue like um, Hashimoto's hypothyroidism or something like that. So Anything that deprives you of quality or quantity sleep is what I'm calling sleep deprivation. Now, once we understand that definition, the thing you have to realize is there's four different areas that have affected us in terms of weight. So first of all, when we're sleep deprived, our metabolism slows down okay. and actually doesn't expend the energy that we normally would, would have happen. Why is that? Well, you know, I, here's the theory, and I think this is true, is, I think this holds true with the research that's been done, is in fact, your body wants to hold on to resources because it doesn't know why it's still awake. Mm. Your body's like, holy cow, I don't want to go down, you know, in my gas tank to fumes, I want to keep that, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the engine on idle, 
right now, if you will, as an analogy, in order to not use up all my fuel. And so your metabolism slows down. So you're not burning calories as fast as you normally would when you're well slept, when you're sleep deprived. Mm. So that's number one. Number two is we know that when you're sleep deprived, your fight or flight response kicks in and your cortisol levels raise. So mm. cortisol is one of those stress hormones that not only can it burn out your adrenal glands and cause you lots of fatigue, but it also increases your appetite. And the reason we think that happens is because you don't have enough resources in your body. And so your brain is saying cortisol high, bring in the food, bring in the food. <laughs> so already we've seen two things that have a dramatic effect. We see a lowering of metabolism and an increase of appetite. Right there, even if we stopped right there, that recipe would be weight gain, right? Yeah, absolutely. But it doesn't stop there. It gets even worse. So we know that hormonally, things have a tendency to change as well. There are two hormones in particular that we have to educate ourselves. One is called ghrelin. And that's spelled G-H-R-E-L-I-N. And the reason I spell it out is because it starts with a G, so I call it the go hormone. Mm. And it's the thing that makes you hungry. Now, believe it or not, there's a difference between being hungry and having an appetite, at least metabolically speaking. And you have 20% more go or 20% more ghrelin when you're sleep deprived. The other one is something called leptin. And leptin is a hormone that makes you want to stop eating, makes you think that you're full or what's called the satiety hormone. And we have 15% less leptin. So let me go over this one more time. You've got high cortisol, which equals high appetite. You have high mm -hmm. ghrelin, which means it makes you want to eat, and high hunger. You have low leptin, which tells you that you're full, and you have low metabolism. Right. If that weren't enough, <laughs> there's even more. Oh, no. Um, the, there was a great study at the University of Chicago where they took people who were sleep-deprived and they put them in front of two tables of food. They had healthy alternatives on one side and cakes and cookies and pies on the other. And they all went for the cakes and the cookies and the pies. Now, that wasn't as obvious to everybody as, as what the previous research had been. But recently, they've discovered that when you eat those high-fat, high-carbohydrate foods, it causes a release of serotonin in your brain, which is the calming hormone. And we think that with those high levels of cortisol, the brain doesn't like that. So it makes you crave food to help calm the brain down. That That's why sense. we call them comfort food is because it actually makes us feel comfortable. When you think back on times when you're really tired, you can see how, you know, your first thought isn't to have a lean breast of chicken and right. on a bed of spinach. You're like, okay, you know, I need something to kind of take care of myself right now. Exactly. And that's what and that's a lot of times what we see is people are reaching for the easy foods as well as the what they consider to be satisfying foods. And a lot of times that's not the stuff that's good for you. Wow. Let me explain or ask, I should say, you, how do you feel about this kind of trend and especially in entrepreneurship? Before the show started, you and I both were chatting a little bit about our teenagers and how cool mm -hmm. it is that you have a son and a daughter and I have a son and a daughter and both of whom we are teaching the importance of like entrepreneurship. But there's this right. trend in entrepreneurship and I guess like in the world in general that's like hustle, 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 go, 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 sleep when you're dead. Right. And it drives me crazy because I was very much... I would use those mantras and, you know, a few people that I would follow, you know, when I was first starting my career in internet marketing, I would kind of use those mantras to justify my lack of sleep. And mm -hmm. I would say to myself things like, well, you know, this is what, you know, if you're a hustler, if you're going to get things done, if you're going to be successful, the thing you have to sacrifice is sleep. And, you know, it wasn't until I had a major health scare 
and could see my brain and what the effects of chronic sleep deprivation, the toll it had taken on my brain, that I realized like, okay, but wait, maybe this isn't the right approach to being successful. So how do you feel about that concept and kind of the trend that to be successful, you've got to go, 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 sleep less, hustle more? My whole career, I've been practicing for 17 years, Mm -hmm. and my whole career, I've had people come up to me, especially entrepreneurs and business owners and CEOs, corporate executives, because I have a whole side practice where I just work with them. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they ask me one of two things. They oftentimes say, well, how important sleep could sleep really be? Because I'll sleep when I'm dead. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the same phrase that you use. And my my response is usually exactly the same, which is, well, that's going to happen a lot sooner Mm -hmm. than you might imagine if you keep up the pace that you're going, because we know that sleep deprivation affects immune function. We know that there is not an organ system or a disease state that is not affected by poor sleep. We know that your decision-making is greatly affected by your your amount of sleep. We know that your moodiness and emotional reactivity is affected by your sleep. We know that your reaction time is affected by your sleep. I mean, there literally isn't a thing that you do that you can't do better with a good night's sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing that a lot of them ask me to do is they say, well, Dr. Bruce, can I hack my sleep. Can you teach me how to get eight hours of sleep in five hours? I can actually do it. Oh. But it's terribly unhealthy. Mm. If we determine how much sleep you really need, and by the way, not everybody needs the same amount. You know, let's just talk about the myth right here in that eight hours is a myth. Good. I was going to ask one of the reasons why I wasn't motivated to get more Mm -hmm. sleep, even though I knew it couldn't be good for me to be getting like four and a half hours sleep, which is what I functioned on for, I can't even tell you how many years, was I didn't feel bad. I didn't wake up tired. True that if I stopped moving kind of like a shark, (laughs) you're like, I was (laughs) was dead. If there was any inactivity or just sitting down, I would fall asleep immediately. I could fall asleep in my car. But I always felt like, well, I'll just keep going, going, going. And I feel energetic. I didn't have negative side effects. So I would tell myself this little white lie that I must be special. I must not need a normal amount of sleep. Well, you are special. However, (laughs) it probably has nothing to do with the amount of sleep that you need. You're what we call an adrenaline junkie. Yeah. So what happens is that, and you, and you outlined it perfectly. When you're moving, you're moving and you have a level of adrenaline and a level of attention and a level of focus that is very unique that a lot of people out there don't have. Mm -hmm. Um, the problem is, is that you don't have enough fuel in the tank, meaning sleep in order to keep that pace for as long as you might like. And you may or may not know that you probably were making some mistakes, some that might not be critical, but certainly ones that add up over time. And that's happening with a lot of my business owners, CEOs, entrepreneurs. And it's pretty amazing the pace that a lot of people have to keep. And I get that part. But what I don't like is 10 years down the road when the CEOs have kept that pace for that long a period of time and they've got high blood pressure or atrial fibrillation or some of these pretty devastating cardiac and cardiophysical aspects that can have a major, major effect on their sleep. And so when you look at how much sleep does somebody need, there's a few factors to think about. Okay. So first of all, the average sleep cycle 
is approximately 90 minutes long. Mm -hmm. And the average person has five of those sleep cycles. So if you take your socially determined wake up time, and everybody has one of those, by the way, in our house, it's 630, because I have to get the kids up because they have to get into the shower and get ready for school because I take them to school in the mornings. Everybody gets up during the week at 630. So if we know that the average person has five of these 90 minute cycles, five. Wait, wait, I have to stop you and say that that is so awesome that you take your kids <laughs> to school today and round of applause because I wish Thank you. That, that you've made that a priority is a beautiful thing. So I have to honor you for that and continue. It's actually one of the times where I get some great conversations with my kids um, and it's just me because I actually take them separately because my daughter goes at one time and my son goes at another time. Yes. So it's nice to kind of find out like what's on the plate for today and wish them good luck and Gosh. you know try to give them a positive affirmation or something like that. So what happens is everybody gets in, in my house, we all get up at 630. And since 90 minute cycles, five of them is 450 minutes Divide that by 60 to get the number of hours, that's seven and a half hours. Mm -hmm. So if you count backwards from 6.30 by seven and a half hours, you now know that your bedtime should be 11 o'clock. Because most people don't know what their bedtime should be. And so a lot of people don't realize that there is a bedtime that's good for people. Now, we just disproved the myth of eight hours because 90 times five is 450, which is seven and a half hours. So we already know eight hours doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And then here's the kicker is some people don't have a 90-minute cycle. They have an 80-minute cycle or a 75-minute cycle. Uh-huh. Me, personally, I'm a six-and-a-half-hour sleeper. I have been almost my whole life. Ah. My body will naturally wake up around 6.30 in the morning, so I don't really go to bed before midnight because I just don't need that kind of sleep. Now, my wife doesn't necessarily love that because she likes to get in bed a little bit earlier. So what we'll do is I might do a little bit of work or catch up on a few things and then get in bed and watch TV or read with her, let her fall asleep, and then do some more quiet things like meditation, relaxation, kind of daily reflection, journaling, things like that, and then I go to bed by midnight. So everybody out there can do this experiment themselves. Just count backwards from your socially determined wake-up time Mm -hmm. and then see if that works for you. And then you'll start to figure it out. If you wake up an hour before your alarm clock, guess what? You went to bed an hour too early. Wow. Push, Push that number back. In your book, The Power of When, yes. you know, you mentioned that it is really helpful if we can set a wake time that stays yes. pretty standardized. That's um, and my question, if I know, let's say, for example, my standardized wake time is 6.30 a.m. And I'm really trying to stick to that. And mm-hmm. it, it, whether it happens naturally or using an alarm. But, right. oh, no, I stayed up until... I accidentally stayed up until 12.30 a.m. watching reruns of The Real Housewives. So now, should I push my wake-up time or should I just go with my natural wake-up time? So you should change your genre of television watching for sure. Right. Uh, Oh, stop. Oh, stop. Come on now. You know we need a good uh, train wreck. I know. I know. My wife loves that show. Um, So here's what I would tell you is you should keep your wake-up time. Okay. Um, because if you throw your circadian rhythm off, that's when trouble begins. And mm. so in the book, I help people determine what their circadian rhythms are. It turns out that there are four general circadian rhythms that most people's bodies fall into. And circadian rhythm, for folks out there who might not know what that means, this is your genetic propensity for sleep time. 
Now, some people might be early birds. Some people might be night owls. Some people might be in between. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of different, there's four different ones. And I've named them as different animals that actually have the same, what we call chronotype or sleep schedule uh, in their animal world as we have in our human world. So when I took the quiz, I which I hope our, my audience will do, you can do that, I believe, by going to, am I correct in saying it's thepowerofwhen.com? It's actually thepowerofwhenquiz.com. Got it. And it's cool. The first time I took it, I overthought the questions. And I was like, yeah. well, like, because I asked if you're a good student. I'm like, well, let me think back to when I was in high school. <laughs> I guess I would call myself a slacker. But then I realized, oh, no, I need to be taking the quiz based on kind of a natural propensity. Right. And not anything that I've like hacked, just kind of like my natural <laughs> intuition, right? So sure. once I took it with the answers being as honest as I felt were natural in my natural tendencies, I was a lion. And then when I read the description, I'm like, oh, this is me. Yep. Crazy, right? Yeah, it was really cool. And so let's go over those four chronotypes. So the first one is called a lion. That's who you are. So my lions make up about 15% of the population and they have a tendency to be my COOs. These are my operators. They like to create a list every morning and go from A to B to C to D. They like to wake up around 530 in the morning and get it done. Uh, but it's not all, you know, giggles and grins to be a lion. A lot of people say they wish they were a lion or have what I call lion envy. A lot of these folks, they're done by eight o'clock at night. I mean, dinner and a movie, forget about it. It's not going to happen. So there is a social kind of con to being a lion, which may have the pros of maybe productivity and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, there's always pros and cons to every one of these. Being a bear is makes up about 50% of the population. And, you know, the world runs on bear time. Mm -hmm. So these are, these are my solar sleepers. They have a tendency to be extroverted. These people, um, really are kind of the glue that keeps society together. They have a tendency to go to bed around 10, 30, 11, have a tendency to wake up around 7, 7, 30. And everything kind of runs very smoothly for them, generally speaking, if they're able to get, you know, good sleep. Mm -hmm. Then it comes the late nighters or the wolves. I happen to be a wolf. Um, as I said before, I almost never go to bed before midnight, but I don't need a tremendous amount of sleep. So I'm kind of an interesting caveat because I can stay up late and wake up fairly early, 6.30. I mean, if I had my druthers, I think I'd rather wake up at 7 than at 6.30. Mm -hmm. But 6.30 seems to work out well for me. But my wolves are my introverted people. These are my very creative folks. These are the entrepreneurs who start companies. And then my lions are the ones who usually run the company. Mm. These are my actors and my authors and my musicians and people like that. We take a little while to trust a person. But once we trust them, we're some of the most loyal friends ever. Mm -hmm. And then the final chronotype are called dolphins. And so most people don't know this, but dolphins sleep what we call unihemispherically. So half of their brain is asleep while the other half is awake and looking for predators. And I thought that was a unique representation of my people with insomnia. My dolphins have a tendency to be my problem children. Mm. Um, th these are the folks that have had historically been a type A personality like my lions, except they're just a little bit neurotic and it has a tendency to have them obsess about details and they don't get the productivity that they're usually looking for. They also don't sleep particularly well. So a lot of times they can be a little more on the emotional side, a little bit more on the agitated side. Perfectionist, correct? 
Exactly. Perfectionist. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But once you know your chronotype, then there's a lot of things that can happen because once you know your chronotype, then your hormones will go up and down in a very predictable fashion. And so I found over 350 studies that I quoted in the book, The Power of When. And what we discovered was 50 different activities that there is a perfect time of day to do them. Obviously, with four categories, there are going to be cross-contamination. A little bit. So for myself personally, when I read Lion and Wolf, I saw myself in both, right? Mm -hmm. And in terms of sleep characteristics, I have no problem falling asleep. My problem is not forcing myself to sleep a little bit longer and taking Mm -hmm. measures to make sure I do sleep longer because I like to stay up late. So I am done at 8. I am done at 8 o'clock, and if I were in bed, I would fall asleep. But... If I accidentally, which I mean, you just do stay up till nine o'clock. <laughs> Once I hit nine, nine thirty, I get another creative right. um, bolster of energy. And I want to go, I want to go back to work like around nine thirty. I want to write a book at nine thirty. I want to <laughs> dig into like new research at nine thirty. And then I can stay up until, you know, I force myself to go to bed, but I would like to stay up until like 1 a.m. But I force myself to go to bed like around 11 And if I use a sleep mask and if I use a sound Mm -hmm. machine, I can Mm -hmm. keep myself asleep till about 630. But if I didn't use those things, I would probably wake up at five. Yeah, you're definitely a lion. There's no question Mm -hmm. about it. But what you're doing is you're kind of cheating a little bit by catching that second wind. Mm -hmm. So what ends up happening is, is you probably get sleepy around 8, 830. And then if you push it past about 930, then your adrenaline kicks in because your body's like, holy cow, I'm awake and I'm not supposed to be. What's Mm. going on here? And then you're off and running again. Trust me, I got a lot of patients who do exactly what you do, especially my lions, because you have a tendency to be my overachiever types. But one of the things I've been very fortunate about is if I can get my lions to follow a steady schedule, Mm. I can actually show them how they can increase their productivity by going to bed earlier, not later. Okay. So when I'm getting sleepy, say around 8.30 or 9.00, Do you think I should, okay, the reason why I'm saying, do you think I should go to sleep then is because when I get more than eight hours of sleep, I feel there's no other word to use other than weird. What I would say is, um, you know, if you're getting sleepy around 8, 8.30, then maybe you go to sleep then and then you get up around 4.30, 5 o'clock. Okay. And then that's your quiet time. That's your time to dig into your research. And your brain will function very, very well at that time as Mm. well. Part of it is also going to depend upon if you have uh, somebody who happens to be next to you in bed. Yes. Uh, right? Because there's, you know, there's those cohabitation rules that seem to come across. <laughs> and when you live with somebody, they want to spend time with you as well. And sometimes they're not on the same schedule. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of interesting. So there's a chapter in my book where I talk about what's the best time for sex, right? Yes. Because that's a pretty important function. And it's something that a lot of people think about. And so how do we kind of understand that, especially if one person is a lion chronotype and the other person is a wolf chronotype, that can get a little dicey. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I actually created a matrix in the book where you can put your chronotype across one side and theirs across the other, and it'll tell you what the best times are to have sex. And it's not (laughs) what you're going to be thinking. I know what it is. It's the morning. Yeah, but like, what what woman, excuse me, on behalf of my audience, what woman wants to have sex in the morning? That's not cute. 
So it's really interesting. So that was a big concern. And so we tested it out in uh, several groups of people. And we, here's what we discovered. is You did, you, know, a, sex, you did a sex and sleep test? <laughs> well, we did a test. We didn't do a full-on study. It was about with eight or nine women. Okay. And they were all definitely opposed to it because they're like, I haven't brushed my teeth. Yes. I don't like I want to look. Come on. I'm not, I don't, I'm not feeling particularly sexy. I don't have my lashes on. Right. And so what I, what I told them was I said, wake up, go brush your teeth, mm. wash your face. I guarantee you that your bed partner doesn't care and see what happens. And unanimously, unanimously, they all said something that I thought was very interesting. They said that they felt more connected during sex when they had it. Okay. Well, there's connected. And then there's, okay, listen, my kids listen to the show sometimes, but so I'm going to speak in Mm -hmm. code to you, Dr. Bruce, for a moment. But I would feel, and you know, obviously my husband and I have been married for 25 years. We feel very connected when things happen in the morning, but I don't get, shall we say, as um, into it. Right. As well, I there's a volume evening. issue. There's a yeah. There's somebody walking through the door, things like that. Yes, so, I'm, yeah, you know, I get I'm it. a mom. So, like, what are you doing? The kids are still. They could walk in and need to borrow something. Right, right. No, trust me, I get it. You have to get a little creative. Okay. But I ask people to just try the experiment because <laughs> every single person told me that they felt more connected to that individual. I'm not saying stop having sex at night. Right. 72% of people have sex between 11 and 11.30. But that's really a convenience issue. And I can I can hmm. tell you a very simple way that Mother Nature has provided this as a guidepost is most men wake up with an erection. <laughs> right. Right? Okay, I but, but whose side are we on in this matter? Signal. I mean, clearly you are team husband. <laughs> I don't know about that. Well, I will tell I- you that there's lots of signals, but that's one that you really, it's going to be hard to ignore. Okay, yeah, you're right. Mother Nature is saying, hey, this might be the time to do that. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm sufficiently convinced that it's, it's in the husband's best interest. I'm just kidding. I am a strong believer and advocate for the, the fact that couples need to prioritize that. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. you can't just say we're busy, I'm exhausted. And especially for those listening who have said, you know, we, we aren't having sex because I'm exhausted. Well, let's give this a shot. Let's yeah, make it happen. exactly. The time that you're going to be the least exhausted is when you wake up from a good sleep, right? Absolutely. Yeah, this is so true. Dr. Bruce, I have a million and one more questions. I feel <laughs> like I need to bring you back on the show because... I want to know, can some questions I want to get to if I can have you back on to talk about, mm-hmm. can I change my natural uh, chronotype mm-hmm. and is that in my best interest? And what about shift work and how right. can I lose weight by addressing my sleep yep. issues? So if you would agree, it would be my honor to have you back for a second episode. I officially agree to a second, third, fourth episode, <laughs> however many you want. Awesome. So we finished off by talking about sex and it only gets better from there. Ladies and gentlemen, tune in to part two with Dr. Bruce. Dr. Bruce, it has been my pleasure to have you on the show today. Well, thank you so much for having me today. And if people want to learn more, they can take the quiz at thepowerofwhenquiz.com and buy the book. I think you will find it fascinating. I concur. And looking forward to have you back on the show, Dr. Bruce. Thanks for having me. This episode is brought to you by Smart Life Push Journal. Write that down. SmartLifePushJournal.com. 
It's a system I created over five years ago, which to date has helped over a half a million people accomplish their goals, become more productive, healthier, and happier in the process. It revolves around the push goal principles. Now, if you don't know what a push goal is, no problem. The Smart Life Push Journal will actually walk you through the process of finding yours, creating it, and then accomplishing that goal and all the others on your list in less than 90 days. I've taught this system for countless years, and while it works for anyone who does it, it was difficult to help people develop the habit of just creating a push goal and then accomplishing two to three 10-minute tasks each day around their push goal. Like, that seems like common sense, and, and you know that if you just do a few things each day towards your big goals that they're going to happen, but how do we make that a habit? Well, my 90-day goal-setting system revolves around a physical journal that turns that concept into a habit. Now, if you're looking for one of those really fancy, pretty journals that you know has your whole year, plus your electricity bill, plus all of your birthday cards, and it's so big and so cumbersome, you can barely carry it around. This is not your journal. I've designed this journal because I was a journal junkie. I went through hundreds of journals. I tried to create my own. I played with apps. But after looking at the neuroscience behind physically writing out these tasks, after spending so much time trying to figure out complicated day tracking journal systems and realizing I was spending more time putting on fancy borders and tapes and colors, it just dawned on me, my whole purpose is about simplicity. Like, let's make things simple. Fewer decisions, fewer distractions, a lightweight, easy to carry with you, portable journal. It's a 90-day goal-setting system where you'll set goals to accomplish in the next 90 days, and then you pluck away at them 30 days at a time. So you don't carry around with you a journal that holds a year's worth of information or even 90 days. You carry around 30 days at a time. And that's important because in my study and in working with hundreds of thousands of people just like you, I found that things come up that change your goals, that change your direction. Life throws you curveballs and you need that fluidity. At the same time, you need accountability. It's like walking around with a life coach in your bag, in your purse, in your hand. You'll always have it with you. That was key. Because if you don't have it with you, then your goals, your dreams, and the tasks that you need to accomplish in order to master your goals are out of sight, out of mind. It's simple. It's fast. It does two things. It helps you track your health and fitness, which also includes your diet and nutrition, your sleep, all things that make you better, healthier. And it helps you track your day, your life. So you intertwine both business and personal. This is for the stay-at-home mom. This is for the entrepreneur, the network marketer. This is for the college student. This is for the person whose dreams are so big, they don't have time to turn their day planner into another cumbersome, huge, overwhelming project. It's simple. And it also includes a complete video series that teaches you how to use a journal. Because if you're like me, I don't like to read instructions. But how you use this journal is what makes it so amazing. I hope you'll check it out and learn more by going to smartlifepushjournal.com.